as you see on the board tonight, we would like to study with you on take heed lest you fall. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 12, where he said, Wherefore, brethren, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I do not believe for one moment that Paul the Apostle warned us about doing something we could not possibly do. He did not warn us, take heed lest you fall, if you could not fall. One of the most popular doctrines in the denominational world is, you cannot fall. Once saved, always saved. Yet these verses in the Holy Scriptures, they say the same thing. Take heed lest you fall. In our lesson today, we're going to divide it into two categories. The first category, we're going to hit it very briefly. And the second category, it'll be for the balance of our time. It is simply the possibility of falling. And I'm giving you half a dozen verses to support that there. Many, many more could be supplied. The majority of our lesson will be spent on the prevention from falling. This is the very, very important part of our lesson, and I'll explain to you why when we get to the point that we start our second division of the lesson. But let us take a look right now at the possibility of falling. The very first verse we have listed is 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 12. Take heed lest ye fall. It is up to every New Testament Christian to stand firm and proud in a positive way and be faithful to the Lord. If you fall, then it's up to you to come back. Many will help you. They'll gladly help you. They want to help you. But you've got to have the heart, the mind, the determination to come back and do the things you know you ought to do. What concerns me it's sometimes when people fall, they stay away so long that they lose their grip on really what they have believed in. They believe some of it, they know some of it, but they don't remember everything, and, and gradually they slip further and further away. And then when they have a spiritual awakening somewhat in their mind, and they decide, you know, I need to take care of myself spiritually, sometimes they've forgotten so much They'll go to the straight on the corner. They'll go to the biggest, the biggest um, church in town. They will do whatever that will satisfy their yearnings. We today need to understand that the church of Christ that meets right here on Plans Road in Bakersfield, California, is a congregation devoted to serving God in spirit and in truth. We're not going to have all the bells and the whistles that the denominational world has. But what we do have, we can tell you why we worship by looking in the scriptures. We can tell you what we believe by showing you book, chapter, and verse. We can show you how to be saved by giving you scripture for that. This is so very important. And you and our audience today, who may not be a member of the Lord's Church, the Church of Christ, 
then you need to take a good look at what you have here. Because what you have in this congregation is weekly communion. What you have in this congregation is singing a cappella without any instruments of music whatsoever. What you have here is sound doctrine being taught in Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night, and during gospel meetings. What you have here is men and women determined to follow the Bible for what it says. We're not here to please man. We're here to please God. And that's what's important. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that don't want it. They don't want it. You know why? Because they want to be happy. They want to be tickled. They want you to tickle their ears. We want today to stay true to God's word. As the men and women of old, who were by faith in Hebrew 11, faithful to the Lord, as it said of Abraham, by faith Abraham, a few words later, obeyed. We want to be those who obey. So in order to take you lest you fall, just remember you can, but you don't have to. And if you do fall, there is a way back. There is a way home. In Galatians 5 and 4, Paul wrote the Galatians and he said, <clears throat> he said, Christ is no effect unto you. If you're justified by the law, that's the law of Moses, <clears throat> then you have, if you have justified by the law of Moses, you've fallen from grace. See, you can't go by the Mosaic law and the law of Christ at the same time. If you're justified by the law of Moses, you're fallen from grace. You see, fallen from grace? Yes, there's a definite possibility. But not only did the Corinthians say it, not only did the Galatians say it, but the Hebrew brethren did. In Hebrew 3 and 12, and Hebrew 6, 4 through 6, and Hebrew 10 and 26, we have three passages from the writer of the book of Hebrews who warns you about falling. He lets you know he does not want you to depart in Hebrew 3.12 from the living God. A person departs one step at a time. People drift just slowly down the river further and further and further away from the Lord and away from the church. But yet he wrote here to the Hebrew Christians. The Hebrew Christians lived in a very difficult time, just like the Galatian Christians did. The Hebrew Christians were born under the Mosaic law. But they died under the Christian law. Now automatically, there had to be a transition during their life. They were born under the Mosaic law. They, they knew it out the back of their hand. And then all of a sudden it came along that the old law was taken out of the way. The new law was coming to effect. They didn't want it. They did not want the new law. They wanted to go back to the law they knew so well. And Paul the apostle, in all three of these chapters, he let it be made known. You cannot go back to the Mosaic law. He even said in Hebrews 10, 26, if you go back to the Mosaic law, there is no more sacrifice for your sin. You can sacrifice, you can make all those weekly, monthly, yearly sacrifices, but they mean nothing anymore. There's no more sacrifice for sin. And with that being the case, 
He should make us sit up and take note because we've got to follow the word and stay true to God's word. The Hebrews, they wanted to abandon the law of Christ and unfortunately fall from grace and embrace the Mosaical law. However, the Galatians, they kind of want to have one hand of the law of Moses, one hand of the law of Christ, and tried to write it out, only to have Paul say, you can't do that. And then in Jude, the book right before Revelation, one, only one chapter, chapter 1 and 24, the Bible said that he will keep you from falling. If you will yield yourself to his will, you'll be kept from falling. You've got to make the right decisions, the right choices. And you've got to be who you ought to be. And if you are, then you won't be falling away. Well, I'm going to study with you now the thrust of the lesson, prevention from falling. Our lesson, take heed lest ye fall. You know, for many years, I preached a lesson, can a child of God so sin as to be lost. And for years I preached it and did not have a conscience about it. It didn't bother me. But then, for some reason, all of a sudden, it got to bothering me. Did I not believe what it, I was preaching? No, no, I believed what I was preaching. Did I feel like I wasn't making the point clear? Well, I felt like the outline was clear enough and I asked a few people, and they said, no, no, we're understanding it. And I was struggling. So I shelved it. And I didn't understand what is it that's bothering me. So I simply laid it back. I said, I've got to lay it back because I cannot preach it with definite conviction. Even though I did, I was convicted but I had to figure out what it was that bothered me before I could justifiably preach it, at least for own conscience sake and for my heart's sake. Something was bothering me. And then one day I was reading a book I can remember very well. I was reading a book and all of a sudden it hit me. It was a practical book. It was one of those self-improvement books. It was a how-to book. And you know what I learned? I learned what it was that was bothering me. I did not like preaching for 30, 45 minutes. You can fall, you can fall, you can fall. This verse, that verse, this example, that example, this illustration, that illustration. These people that fail and those people fail and, and all of that without telling them how to keep from falling. Once I realized that, I can dig it off the shelf and dust it off and get ready to preach it. And I just simply added a segment, how to take heed lest you fall. Can a child of God so sin to be lost? Absolutely. But I want to show you how to prevent from falling. So in this lesson today, you could look at it as how to keep from falling, how to prevent from falling. I don't want you to fall. You don't want me to fall. We want to walk in that straight and narrow pathway together and be successful in living a Christian life. 
when I first began to preach, to some of you, you were not alive. 43 years ago, I began to preach. And I received a book from a friend of mine, home, uh, Sermons and Writings of Homer L. King. I think that's the name of the book. The little blue sermon outline book from Brother Homer L. King. And I started reading it. I love reading. And so I started reading that book. And I don't remember what sermon it was in, but he made a statement. He said the Christian life is to be a life of successes, not a life of failures. I was just 17 when I started preaching. I was probably 19, 20 by now. And that stuck in this brain. I don't think I've ever forgot it. The Christian life is to be a life of success and not a life of failures. And we need to help each other. Now, Brother Homer L. King, all, most of you know, who in the church, you know that he was a, Don King's father. He was an older preacher. He is an older preacher from now. He was deceased now, like my grandfather, Brother Miller. He preached long and hard and for years all across this country. Well, Brother King did too. And, and I really enjoyed that book. But some way that phrase stuck in my mind among many other things that I read in his book. And then I was in a meeting in Manteca. Oh, I think it was a meeting two times ago. And I told Brother Don, I said, if you, are you going to come back to the meeting? And he said, yeah, I plan to. I said, do you have any more of your dad's books? He said, yeah, I've got some of dad's books. I said, bring me four. I want one for each of my kids. And Don signed them for me and addressed it to Levi and Luke, Logan and Olivia. And they all got their own copy of one of Brother Homer King's books. And I told them that story. I said, I want y'all to read that whenever you find opportunity. And you know, today, there's so much to be learned. You know, from reading the Bible and then reading men that you can have confidence in, their understanding and their teaching about the Bible. Well, what we can learn today, prevention for falling, is beautiful. Here it comes. First Corinthians 10, 12, what we use to introduce our lesson, wherefore, brethren... Take heed lest ye fall. And then look at verse 13, the very next verse. There is no temptation taking you, but such is the common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted with more than what you can bear, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape. I love this verse. This to me is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I love to share this verse with people who are coming back, who've been out in the world for a few months, few weeks, few years. And I love to share them that passage. This verse does me a lot of good when I read it. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Alan, you will never be faced with a temptation other than what a plain old ordinary generic temptation. And you, every one of you, you will not be faced with the temptation but one of those generic ones, common temptation. Oh, I know, I know. I've heard it, and I probably have said it sometime or another. Oh, I was hit with a big one. I mean, it was that, that big. It was huge. It was a monster. It was a temptation like nobody's ever been tempted with before, and it got me wrong. God said through his word, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Don't go blaming God when you're tempted. 
The Bible said God cannot be tempted, neither will he tempt any man. But here's what it said. God is faithful. He will monitor, that's my word, English word today. He will monitor the temptation and he'll always make you an escape route. You never have to sin. You never have to sin. God will provide you a way to escape situations. He'll give you teaching in the scripture. If you live by that, you can always have a way to escape. So therefore, as we analyze 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, every temptation is common. God is faithful to us. I wish I was as faithful to God as God is to us. And I wish all of us was that way. God will monitor every temptation. He's going to make sure you're not tempted with more than you can bear. You can never say, I couldn't do anything about it. Yes, you could. That's a cop-out. When you say, oh, it was humongous. No, no, you're copping out here. You're blaming other people. You're blaming God. You're blaming everybody except the one who's really do the wrong, you and me. When I sin, it's my fault. I chose to sin. And when you sin, I want you to get a hold of this. It's your fault. You chose to sin. God said, I'm going to give you an escape route. I'm going to monitor your temptation. I'm going to be faithful to you. Every temptation will be common, generic, plain old, ordinary temptation. And if you neglect all of that, you sin. It's because you chose to sin. That's the truth. All wrapped up in one verse. That's why I love reading the scriptures. One verse is, I mean, you can think about it all day long. Comprehend it and think about it and pray about it. Where does sin come from anyway? All right. The brother of our Lord said in James 1, 12 through 16, here's what he said. Every man is drawn away of his own lust. And you can look at it. In verses 12 through 16, if you would like. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So every man is drawn away of his own lust, and he is enticed. The word enticed means to entrap you, to allure you. That's the way it works. This is the process. James 1, verse 12 through 16 we're drawn away, look here, I want you to get a hold of this, of his own lust. Wow. Me. I want to point to you, but it's me. When I sin, it's my fault. I'm drawn away of my own lust and enticed. And when it's conceived, it brings forth sin and finally brings forth death. It's real important for us to realize, first we're in the 10, 13, and understand James 1, 12, 16. When we do, we understand how temptation works, how God will monitor your temptation, always provide a way to escape it. And then when we sin, we sin because we chose to sin. We're drawn away of our own lust. I like knowing how things work. I may never understand how some things work, but spiritually, I want to understand how temptation works. 
I want to understand how sin works. I want to understand how to keep from falling. And then we find under number three, under our second, our third division of our lesson day, this is technically our second division. Our first one is the possibility of falling. Our second division is prevention from falling. We need to watch out what we're doing. Matthew 26, 41. Now you can give Udas and God the verses here. But I'm going to give you one. Matthew 26 and 41. The Bible said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch out what you are doing. Watch out what neighborhood you move your family into. Watch out what school district you put your kids into. Watch out whose friends that you associate with. Are they going to help you or hurt you in your living of a Christian life? Are they going to continually to bombard you and try to get you to do the wrong thing? Watch out. Watch, watch, watch. The Bible says watch and pray that you would not enter temptation. And Luke 11, 1 through 4, the disciples come running to Jesus and they saw him praying, so they waited patiently until he finished his prayer. And then when he finished his prayer, they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Isn't that sweet? Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the glory and the honor and the praise forevermore. Amen. Wow. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Don't you wish today a little bit of you wish you could live in that first century when Jesus lived here? It would be a very dangerous time because of the persecution. But you could run up to Jesus and say, would you teach us how to pray? Don't you believe your prayer life would be more important and be used in more consideration of your Christian life than ever before? Let me tell you what. He taught you to do that in Luke 11. 1 through 4. Your prayer life should be so wonderful that praying is something nobody can take from you. You can pray with the eyes open with the eyes closed. You can pray when you're laying down to bed or when you're up and running around. You can pray. Nobody can stop you. I love what the part of my spiritual life that nobody can interfere with. And prayer is one of them. Oh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the, the disciples knew just how important it was. And they were learning how to take heed lest they fall. And they learned that prayer was part of that. I, I love preaching on prayer. And this whole meeting I'm going to get through without preaching a whole lesson or two or three or four or five on prayer. Prayer is a valuable lesson. When you pray, you pray to God the Father. He hears your prayer. He will answer your prayer according to his will. Every time you pray, you pray according to his will. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. 
You always pray. That's how Jesus prayed. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. Always pray with the right attitude, God. It's not what I want, it's what you want that matters. All right? Look at number five here. Submit to God, resist the devil. James 4, verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now I'm going to camp out right here for a minute, so camp out with me, please. Take a look at that. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's like it was with Jesus down here in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. When Jesus resisted the devil, the Bible said the devil left him. And the angels came and worshipped Jesus. But what we find here, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. When is the last time you said no to the devil? No. No. Now here's the way it works. Now I'm going to get right down in your face. This is the way it works. You will either submit to God or you will submit to the devil. One of the two. That's the way it works. You will either resist. You will resist God or you will resist the devil. You cannot. Jesus said it a long time ago. In Matthew 16 and 24. He's not written on the board now. Matthew 16 and 24. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You can love one and hate the other. You can despise one and and cling to the other, you can't serve them both. You can't serve God and the devil. You're going to submit to one, resist the other. If I submit to the devil, I will automatically resist God. Now, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. Who will I submit to? Who will I resist? Because if you submit to the devil, you automatically resist God. If you resist the devil, you automatically submit to God. That's your choice. You've got to make that choice. And, and you can't blame everybody else. People love the blame game. This won't work here. You submit whoever you choose to. You submit. We are free moral agents. And I didn't deal with any of that kind of uh, doctrinal teaching during this lesson or during this whole meeting. But you today... You choose who you want to serve. You are free morally. You make your own decision out of free will. God gives you the ability to say yes or no. And you decide what you're going to do. Yes, I will go to church. No, I won't. That's your decision. I want you today to concentrate on submitting to God and resisting the devil. Realizing the devil will flee from you. And point number seven ties in with this. When we follow the example of Christ in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I'm not going to read this, but I'll paraphrase it. The devil took Jesus up into a high mountain. And he saw stones. And Jesus had just came from the desert land for 40 days. That's nearly six weeks without anything to eat. I don't hardly ever go six hours without anything to eat. He was six weeks. About. And the devil said, hey, turn these stones to be made bread. Guess what? 
There was nothing wrong with turning stones to be made bread. But Jesus was not about to lay any form of an illustration for you that under certain circumstances, you can do what the devil said. No, Jesus said, it is written. I like this. It is written. Man should not live by bread alone, verse 4, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Wow. So therefore, whenever we're tempted of Satan, you say no. And you go to what is written. You reach out to God for help. Then the devil takes Jesus up into the high mountain, showed him all the glories, the riches, the wealth of all the world. Listen here to the devil. All of this will I, Satan, give you Jesus if you fall down and worship me. Understand, the devil will always have an ulterior motive if you fall down and worship me. I give it all to you. If you ever wonder who's in charge of the world, you can know right here, the devil does. The Bible says the devil is the god of this world. Don't go to the world. Don't live in the world. You're living like Satan wants you to live. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus said, it's written again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 7. I love these verses. I mean, he's giving you, it is written, and he goes to God for help. When you sin, you say, book, chapter, verse, go to God for help. That's how you whip Satan soundly. Well, this time, Satan takes... If I was Satan, I think right here, I'd have given up, okay? I think I'd have just eased out and gone somewhere else. But no, no, no. The devil is not a coward. He comes bouncing back. He sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, way up there. And he said, jump! The angel shall give thee charge concerning you, lest you should stump your toe. Dash your foot on a stone. Jump! When I was a kid, I used to think, boy, it would be so cool if Jesus would have gone, Phew. I thought, man, he could have done it. Shut him up. He didn't do it. I really wish he did, at that time especially. But you know what? Jesus did not want to show you. Sometimes you might want to do what the devil said. No, no. He said, it's written again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 4 of Matthew 4, verse 4, 7, and 10 are the words recorded by Jesus. Three times Jesus was tempted by the devil. Three times he said it is written. Three times he went to God for help. Three times he whipped Satan, sin, and evil, and then the devil left, and the angels came and ministered to him. Listen, you can breathe the sigh of relief for a little season. When you, whip the Satan, when you whip Satan and the devil, he will leave you. Though for a little while, then he'll probably bounce back. Dear friend, I want you to be like Jesus. Live like him. Read the scriptures. Read how he acted under adverse circumstances. Read how he re responded in days of glory. You know, let, can I illustrate something so I have room? I want to illustrate here. Earth, earth, heaven. The way we talk sometimes, we leave the wrong impression. 
Sometimes we teach people to heaven. The way to heaven is like this. From earth to this world, a straight course, straight line, straight to heaven. Now really, that's not the way it works for any of us. The way to heaven is generally like this. You can have your highs, you can have your lows, kind of like the stock market. You can have your peaks and your valleys. There'll be times in your life you're as strong as you can be. There are other times in your life that you don't want to meet the Lord. But at the end of your life, you want to be right here on the straight and narrow pathway. You want to go to heaven, even if you've got to work your way back up to get there. I don't want to ever hear you or anybody else complain, whine, bellyache, make fun of 11th hour confession or 11th hour baptism. What I want you to do is be thankful to your God for allowing that person a chance at the 11th hour. They were not just taken out in a, say, a tragic automobile accident or something. I hear people make fun of people who are making their 11th hour baptism or confession. Shame on them. And shame on you if you do it. People say, oh, well, they were just afraid they're going to die. So, if you thought you was going to die and you was not ready to meet your maker, what would you do? You'd make your life right with God. That's what you'd do. Because you don't want to go to hell. But don't you ever make fun of or talk down to, or talk to others about an individual who makes their life right with the Lord. I've baptized people who died 18 hours later because they wanted to get right with the Lord. I've taken people's confession who died just moments after we said amen. I want to tell you this today. The thief on the cross was in the 11th hour. He was about to die you know what Jesus said? Too late now. You're just afraid you're going to die and go to hell. Nope, he didn't do that. He said, today you are going to be with me in paradise. All right? So when you hear people thump around on people who make 11th hour confession, I want you to stand up for them and say, the thief on the cross did it. We can do it. And you would do it if you were in their shoes. I want us to learn to stand up for people rather than ridicule and put people down. We're one happy family. We should be helping each other go to heaven. And that's what's happening right here. We're learning how to take heed lest you fall. We want, to, we want to follow the example of Jesus Christ, and we will learn it. Our final point will last about five minutes, and we'll be through. Follow the Christian graces. You know, I don't know who named that Christian graces, it's not in the Bible, Christian graces. Now, fruit of the Spirit, works of the flesh, Christian graces. Well, Christian graces is not there, okay? The graces are there, but being called Christian graces, I don't have a problem with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's not there. It's not named that in the Scripture. I don't have a problem calling it Christian graces. I like what 2 Peter 1 teaches all of this is found in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. And if you don't get anything else tonight, get this, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, 
to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. If these things being you in a bound, they make you. You will not be barren, you won't be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barren and unfruitful, you will not be unproductive. If you've got these seven graces in you, you're going to be productive for the Lord, for the church, for your spiritual life. You're going to succeed in living your Christian life. But if you like these things, you're blind and you cannot see it far off. And you've forgotten you have purged from your old sins. If you don't have these seven Christian graces in your life, you're going to have a hard time living a Christian life. Let me tell you something. Think back to the last time you committed a sin. Think about what that sin was. A to Z, you just think about what it is. Why did you sin? Here's why you sinned. No, I wasn't there. No, I didn't see it. No, I didn't hear it. I'm telling you why you did it. Here's why you sin, and when I sin, here's why I sin. We had a weakness, get over this, a weakness of one or more of virtue, which is moral excellence, or knowledge, or temperance, or patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. One of these seven Christian graces, or more of these seven graces right here, one or more of these seven. It may be five out of seven that Alan's weekend. No wonder he said. But listen, the Bible said if you have these things, you can make your calling and your election sure. Now listen, I'm not giving you homework one single time in the last ten lessons. Sunday through Sunday. I'm giving you homework tonight. I want you to learn these seven Christian graces. I want you to learn. Look them up in a Bible dictionary. Look them up in a translation. See what you can learn about these. Because the more you know about these seven, the less likely it will be you'll commit sin. Unless you're stubborn and rebellious and you choose to sin. Why did I lie? Okay, let's look at it. Did I lie because I just simply am immoral and I just lied? Did I lie because I didn't have patience, which is temperance. I didn't have or patience or temperance is self-control. I just didn't have self-control. And if the easy thing to do is tell that cop, I didn't, oh, I really wasn't speeding. You know what? Just for the record, the best way to get a ticket is to lie to the cop. He got you. Just say, uh-huh. Admit guilt when guilt, okay? Temperance is self-control. Maybe it's the lack of self-control. Maybe it's a lack of patience or God it is. Brotherly kindness and charity. You see, I lied because of five of each of these. One or more. I'm saying, get a hold of this. Every sin in the book, from A to Z, from Alpha and Omega, every sin in the book is a weakness of one or more of these seven Christian graces. So I want everyone, young people, older people, whatever age group you want to categorize yourself in, I want you to learn these seven. I want you to get a hold of it. 
Oh, you know it and have it in your life so you will not sin. The Bible said, make your calling and election sure in verse 10 of 2 Peter 1. That's how to do it. If you'll add these things to your life, every sin you commit, run. Don't walk. Run to 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 and decide which one or more of these am I weak in. It's just amazing. The Bible said if you do these things, you'll never fall. If you want to live a successful Christian life, I'm going to leave these words with you. Learn to master these seven Christian graces. To you congregational teachers, this will be a great lesson. Maybe a lesson on each one of these. Seven lessons. I've already got the lesson for you now. Now you just develop it. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. There they are. If you have them, God said you would never fall. If you don't have them, you're blind and you cannot see afar off. Dear friends, I want you to go to this. That's the homework I gave you, and it's all for your benefit. I want you to master these seven Christian graces. Second Peter 1 is your new best friend. It's going to help you succeed. It's going to help you enter that grand abundance into eternal life in heaven. May God bless you tonight. And the sermon is over. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.